Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, as always, Rachel Gardner. How are you, Rachel? I am. I'm doing really well. And the moment you introduced me, I suddenly had a flash memory of something I was going to talk about the podcast about your previous books. Oh, <gasps> right. What's that then? Well, shall we keep going? Well, now we have to. <laughs> that I saw on social media somebody took a photograph of a game for young people that you wrote many years ago yes. that I feel has got a new lease of life in yeah. these covid days yeah Do you want oh, to explain it's become the game? very popular so so I did do a book of games yeah. which I People, some people are very nice about. Yes, I'm. I actually don't think it's among my best work. Okay. But um, but it's called Games with a Purpose, and uh, and one of the games in it. Get ready for this. Uh, people. Is a game called Follow the Cough. Follow the cough. And so you have a young person <laughs> coughing in a room, and a person who's blindfolded has to find the person who's. So there's lots of coughing. hands, sort of on people's shoulders. Yeah, lots of yeah. mouths going towards. I think I mean, there's like a, you make a maze out of people, and then you have to. Find follow the cough along the maze um so it's inv- involves putting people very close together and then they have to walk through the follow the mucus as well does it yeah. sort of evolve and yeah, take I on so. new life i hope so well there might be a new variant of it Ha, ha, ha. Oh, I love it. I just think, and I, when I arrived today at Youthscape, I tried desperately to track that book down because yeah. I was, just, I wanted to sort of shame you and name you and blame yeah. you on, you on them sort all. of, I, I, you popped them all. But as you know, one of my uh, books, a better book, yeah. The Beautiful Disciplines, um, you can't buy it in the States. And you can't buy in the States because uh, somebody pointed out to the publisher that it includes Chubby Bunnies <gasps> as one of the games, one of the activities. Oh, my goodness. In the curriculum. And it was a game of its time. But obviously, it's very sadly, in the, in, in the States, there have been a couple of instances of, oh. of people choking oh, no. to death. Oh, I thought you meant playing. kind of like sort of fat shaming. But no. No. To death. Oh, my I mean, goodness. No. Or are we Actually, tracing this back to reading yeah, your book? Or yeah, is it just, uh, there's too much association? No, it's not connected to my oh book. Oh my goodness. People, people oh just to be clear, no one read my book and then... And then did the game. And then, and then unfortunately, there was a tragedy. But uh, but no, that had happened a couple oh, of times in, in American yeah. schools, I think. And mm. so that game's oh, completely outlawed in that, in that culture. So you can't get it there. No, and I can think now, being a youth worker of a certain age, I can think of many games that we used to play 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. The British Bulldog, do you remember that one? Well, that is completely, you can't do that one now. Do you know that um, Bob Moffat, uh, who is like, in many ways, is sort of like the forefather of modern curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to write these curriculum sessions. I think he was pretty much the first person to do it. He had a thing where he used to electrocute young people. <laughs> He used to put young people in a sort of very low-voltage electric chair. They were the golden days. It was a simpler time. Why aren't we allowed to do that anymore? I remember 20 years ago being in a high school and being asked to take a couple of young people in the back of my car to go and, you know, access support somewhere else and not thinking twice that I couldn't stick young people in the back of my car and just take them off school site. Like, I mean, things have changed rapidly, let alone in the past. I I suddenly feel like the Youthscape podcast (laughs) has morphed into the two of us sitting in an old people's home. I have 
visions. I, I do have visions, actually. Of, yeah. Yeah, of being wheeled out into the sunlight and uh, just, <laughs> you know, on my way to glory, age 99 point whatever, just reminiscing on all this stuff and packing my bag for the next big adventure. I love it. I want to be a youth worker to the day I die. But You're right, Rachel. Have, what, what's going on? <laughs> we have a wonderful guest in Burnt Orange. Oh, thank goodness. Us, who has been sat here like, when are they going to introduce me? Yeah. Because in the bad old days of Youthscape Podcast, this is what we used to do every week. Do you remember this? Yeah. We'd have somebody who would kind of make their way to Luton from somewhere else. They We'd sit them in the studio with yeah. us. You and I would waffle on for ages. And eventually we would introduce them. And they'd often be yeah. a real wreck by that point. Because yeah, they'd be yeah. like, I can't get out. Yes. I can't go. They, re- they didn't know what they let themselves in <laughs> no, for. No, it was awful. And we're back to those days. Would yeah. you like to introduce our wonderful I, I will, today? because of course she is contractually obliged to sit here. <laughs> Uh, she uh, absolutely does what she's told because she's my subordinate. That's how I like to describe her uh, in the management structure of Youthscape. No, so so my very, very amazing uh, innovation right hand, that's what I'm going to call her. Uh, Hannah Bradley is here. Yay! Hello! <laughs> Uh, in many ways, the engine that keeps innovation going oh, at Youthscape. Absolutely. Well, maybe. Not the quite. person who does all the work essentially. So welcome, Hannah. Thanks. It's fun to be here. It's fun to have you here. It's with your lovely regional accent as well. Well, I see, I genuinely don't think I have an accent. Oh. But uh, apparently, you know, there's a little twang here and there. There is a massive twang. <laughs> but I'm just, I, I started there not because I am a massive twang, but because... <laughs> Uh, yeah, he said it fast. But because uh, you, you, uh, you obviously came to us having done youth ministry north of the border, right? Yes, indeed I did. Uh, so before I was here, I worked for a small charity in kind of central Scotland, doing very hands-on youth work with both primary school and secondary school age children. Um, and then I moved to Youthscape a couple of years ago um, off the back of doing uh, the Princeton innovation course, actually, um, and then uh, applied for the role here and uh, came here. There you go. So yes. also yes. what you need to know, if you really want to fully understand Hannah, is that <laughs> You're also a marine biologist. I am, yes. So uh, Ooh, that was. I the, didn't know this. Yeah. So that's my degree. I studied marine biology at university. I went and did a little bit of biology in a big aquarium for a while. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but so the begs the question: aquarium to youth ministry in central Scotland. What what does that journey look like? Was that an obvious? Steps to youth ministry? I mean, teenagers, sharks, people are scared of both. <laughs> What's the difference? No, it's, um, I've always had a real heart for young people and I did a lot of voluntary youth work throughout uh, my time at university, throughout the time I was working as a biologist. Um, and then when I was in the aquarium working, it wasn't that it wasn't great. I loved it, but I just felt that it wasn't exactly where God wanted me. And so, um, yeah, made the move uh, back into uh, kind of, or into full-time uh, Christian youth ministry and haven't left it since. Can I just ask, where do you sort of fulfill your love of marine biology now? Because I guess that desire doesn't <laughs> go away. And I, I have taken on a Sunday night to give my kids tea in front of the TV, mm. but they have to watch David Attenborough. Like this love is it. It's just, great. Yeah, it's like, it's, I can still control what they watch yeah, for a couple yeah. more months. 
And so we, I love them watching like the deep sea mm. landscapes and then the kind of the African savannah. And I love all that. So, so yeah. what does it look like for you? Do you have like calendar wall calendars with sharks on and octopuses? And- <laughs> uh, yeah, I have had the shark wall calendars. Yep, they're a great one. Um, I also, not so much in this country, but if I'm ever away on holiday somewhere, I'll try to do some scuba diving because I'd quite, oh. quite enjoy that. So uh, yeah. Are you secretly a mermaid? I try to be, but I'm not. Oh. So. <laughs> Have you got a favourite uh, fish or marine animal? Um, <laughs> Should we just carry on doing this? I'm enjoying, right. I'm enjoying this. I love that uh, producer Amy actually lost it there. Um, do I have a... Yeah, I love... So I love hammerhead sharks. I think they do are like you? some oh, of them. Cool, yeah, I think they're like the most they? fascinating they're things eyes. ever. Yeah. Just like, I mean, you can't say that our God is not creative when you look at the shape of that shark, you yeah. know? It's Aww, amazing. Look at you theologizing. <laughs> That was good. Good link back to what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Hannah, your role at Youthscape mm-hmm. is to s- somewhat help to steer the ship. See how I made that nautical? I did. Of innovation. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and so what does that look like on a day-to-day? Like, what is your, if someone says to you, as I am, mm. uh, what does your job actually look like day-to-day? What is it? Yeah. Uh, well, typically we'll have a couple of projects on the go at a time um, in various stages of development. And so my day will often look like uh, working on one of those projects, whether that's writing the content for it, um, whether that is working with designers to make it look great, chatting to printers about what it will look like when it's like a physical resource. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's different elements of how uh, the resource journey kind of takes place. And your uh, your nickname at the in the office, your your Star Wars name is Keeper of the Wall. Keeper of the Wall. Uh, that's one more a Game of Thrones <laughs> name, it's isn't it? It's your Game of Thrones name. Yeah. Not that I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you're Keeper of the Wall. Yep. So you are actually in charge of the giant innovation wall. Yes. The, the monument, yes. not an idol. The monument <laughs> to innovation in the centre of our, our offices. Yeah. For those that don't understand it, and just to test you, oh, uh, do you want to take us through the innovation wall and process that we use at Youthscape? I would love to. Thanks, Anna. Um, so uh, the innovation wall has uh, five different panels on it that takes us on our innovation process. Um, the first one is opportunity. So that is when you uh, spot a need amongst young people, uh, amongst youth workers, um, and you write a statement about what that need is. Uh, so we don't get into how we might solve that need then and there. We just simply identify what the need is. Then you move on to the second stage, which is ideas. Um, and so we'll take that opportunity and we will brainstorm ideas about how we could meet it. Um, and uh, we will typically go through a few brainstorms to try and find out what is the best idea to, to fit uh, that need. Once we've settled on an idea, it moves into the in-development stage where uh, we will write content, we will research, um, we will see what else is out there. We will very much just kind of gather a load of sources and put materials together. And that is kind of the stage that will typically take the longest. Um, And then uh, once we're kind of happy with... um, with where we're at, we will pilot it with youth workers, with young people, um, and see if our idea really works. Um, and the idea of that is to get a load of feedback. We kind of expect that it won't work. We expect that we will have to do a lot of rewrites, which we often do. Um, and then when we get that feedback back, we will 
do all the changes, enhance it, um, and then get it ready for when it goes to launch and evaluation, which is when we send it out into the world. Um, and hopefully it will be used by youth workers and young people, um, and then we'll get some evaluation back on how they found it. So that is our process. When you look at those five panels, yeah. Hannah, do you have like an equal love for each aspect? <laughs> Ooh. Or is there one part of it that you're like, ah, oh, I am flying like mm. a hammerhead. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm just like, you know, that that is just, I just don't enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so my favorite thing is to keep things moving through the wall. I hate things to get stagnant in a particular stage. Um, so I guess a potentially frustrating stage is the in-development stage, simply because it can take quite a long time. Um, but it is worth it whenever it's refining material, refining content, so that it's exactly what we want to put out there so yeah uh, so if you can picture this thing it's five i think they're three meters high mm. panels yep and then about a meter and a bit wide each mm -hmm. uh, so it's five they're, they're different colors they're magnetic mm -hmm. and they're not just divided like uh vertically so you've got these five vertical panels you've also got this bar along the bottom mm. and then a, and then a, a little area under the line below the line below the line which is just you have to kneel down to the bottom and you can you can because you can write on this thing or mm -hmm. you can stick things to this thing but you can also write below the line yeah and that is our version of what hollywood calls development hell yeah. so that is where we put things that we thought were a good idea mm -hmm. but we actually couldn't figure out a way to mm -hmm. or we realized it was probably a bad idea but but in some cases we just couldn't figure out a way of doing that yeah. can you can you remember some of the things that have that have actually Ooh. disappeared. So they've been on that journey, mm. that process of innovation. That people listening, you could replicate this in your own mm, church. Like we know of people who have. Yes, they've built yeah. these little walls with blackboards or whiteboards yeah. or whatever. So um, so you've you've got the journey, the, the hoped-for journey that mm. you love so much. But then can you think of some stuff that's actually not made it and ended up below the line? Uh, yeah. So um, we did a big clear-out during... Uh, some of the lockdowns to things that were below the line because they'd been there for a really long time. So when we did that, there was things like um, a retreat in a box, oh, yeah. uh, which had been in the in development stage and got stuck below the line. And what was that? We wanted to do a... Like a staff retreat, oh, yeah. like content and material for how you could use if you were taking your staff away on a retreat, but it just never... Yeah, yeah, for your volunteers. Okay, yeah. so for youth work volunteers. Yeah, it never really got to that stage. Yeah. Um, we had look up as well that actually oh, yeah. probably made a bit further down the line. Um, but then uh, for various reasons, it was a project that was going to be in schools um, and it was kind of a disruption type resource, getting kids to kind of break into their day and look at something different. Um, but again, couldn't get it to go uh, and that super was far. A, that was more of a financial thing. I think yeah. we, that was a, a really great idea. Mm. Look up. I mean, you know, it's interesting to reflect. We don't yes. ever reflect yeah, on the yeah, things that we've good. never done. Yeah. Um, but we spent a long time on mm. Look Up, and it was we created these huge works of art, and it was interactive, and it was it's kind of half made. But then we discovered it was going to cost us like twice as much to mm -hmm. make as it was to that we could probably sell it for. Yeah. And so, so yeah. we never did it. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that were below the line that have actually morphed into things that we've been able to bring back. So, for example, uh, we had um, Uscape Bricks, which is one of our current yes, resources, mm -hmm. was originally just called Bricks. Um, and they were not quite Jenga bricks. They were like multi-purpose. Uh, they were going to be custom made. And again, that was a financial limitation, us being able to 
make that a reality. But then a lot of the content and development work that had been done for that could then be used to make a, a more simple idea that we could actually sell. And what and was for that? Just to describe that. Because so we went from mm, creating essentially a Jenga set. Yes. To now, it is a set of stickers that you buy the stickers and you stick them on your Jenga set that you have at home. And they're discussion questions to use with your young people. Mm. So whether that's as you're playing Jenga, if you take a brick out, you answer the question, um, that kind of thing. Um, and it's to help have those bigger conversations with your young people. So that's what it now looks like. Do we um, ever get stuck with the opportunities phase mm. is that, where are we most likely to get stuck with stuff mm. that's a really interesting question because i think it's like the stuff we write below the line is typically the things we've started working on and haven't made it but actually in opportunities it becomes a capacity thing it's like actually there's all this need in all these areas and we can't meet it all so where do we work amongst that but we don't really write those things below the line necessarily sometimes they just we let, leave them there and leave them there and they exist there for months years at a time and then eventually mm -hmm. we're like oh maybe we should maybe we should just wipe that off mm -hmm. um and so that's probably the stage that actually a lot of things do go below the line but we don't necessarily we try and hold on to them for as long as possible because mm -hmm. ideally we would love to meet those needs and to create resources to to speak into those opportunities so and there have been some that have kind of like we've just not been able to get our heads around it we've, mm. we've put the team together we tried to mm, yeah. to think well, how could we respond to this opportunity but we couldn't find anything that quite worked one of the really interesting things that we're working on at the moment just to lift the lid coming soon <laughs> sneak peek <laughs> um we are committed uh probably by about the end of may to launching an anti-racism resource mm -hmm. now that is not easy it no. turns out we thought it would be yeah we thought oh yeah anti-racism that's that's straightforward we're, we'll make tell everyone how to do that uh turns out that's an incredibly complicated subject mm. but not just the subject but also thinking about how you create an appropriate resource to take before young people so that they can safely discuss that in a way that you know for young people who are uh who, who are people of color mm -hmm. Being able to kind of discuss that so that they they're not themselves kind of yeah. made the focus in an inappropriate way or yeah. or become the subject of really inappropriate comments or racism, you know. But also that that thing is worthwhile enough that it could provoke people who are racist or have some racist attitudes to change those. Mm. Like that's a really complicated yeah. sort of set of parameters, and we mm. it's taken us ages. Yeah, uh, we've fixed it now. It's fine. We fix racism. I'm joking, of course. Uh, but, um, you know, we we, um, we have, you know, we're probably still not quite there. No. And, and it's taken us way longer than, than most of the opportunities because there's so yeah. much in there. Yeah, and it, it's also worth saying as well that actually that's something that we are p pulling in more voices to than actually maybe yeah. any other resource that we've done. Yeah. And particularly because we don't, we don't want it to be our voices. Um, and so it takes a while to gather people's thoughts and gather people's opinions and, mm. and outsource that material to people to, who are experts in the field, who are, mm. um, who have a greater uh, wealth of knowledge and experience than we do. So yeah, it is one that's uh, tripping us up a little bit, but uh, 
it's getting there. It's so encouraging to hear, isn't it, that this process both really propels us and encourages us to realise who we don't have and what mm. voices we don't have and to yeah. be really active in that. And a lot of that work will go on behind closed doors, mm. under the service. People won't always know. Yeah. But it's really encouraging to think that really strong, robust thinking is happening. Could you ever imagine like us as an organisation or any organisation going through this process and not necessarily bringing voices in, but thinking we have to now give this away? So we've done the work up until now but actually for it to really take root, that would need... I mean, I'm just trying to think how it might work on a local level for churches mm. too. That church has a great idea, brilliant, and then think, so actually, but are we the ones that will take this to young people? I mm. wonder if there's that mm. kind of yeah. two-way street and what that would look like. Yeah, for sure. I actually think that a lot of our innovation process is, is learning how to not to hold things tightly mm. because like so many things is you know, they might not work out. We might not get the funding for it. It might not um, be exactly what is needed at that moment. And so uh, I definitely have been guilty of getting super attached to particular ideas. And then, you know, you do get a bit downheartened when that you have to give those away or you have to put them down for a bit. And so, um, yeah, I think there definitely is uh, potential for us to create things and then for it not to be us that carries it out to give mm -hmm. it away but it mm -hmm. is our whole process is learning not to get too emotionally attached to <laughs> <laughs> different parts of it so yeah now uh thinking both about collaboration and mm. below the below the line thing that we just talked about mm -hmm. one of the one of the things that sat below the line for ages was escape rooms yes we were like it's, kids love escape rooms Surely this is a mechanism that we can use to um, to, to sort of do some great youth work. Yeah. Uh, couldn't get anywhere with it. Nope. And then uh, we collaborated with IJM, mm -hmm. International Justice Mission. Yeah. And some people will know the punchline to this is the Freedom Challenge resource, which was launched at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Yeah. Uh, and again, as we mentioned uh, in a previous episode, is an escape room style adventure. Yes. But tell us a little bit about that process of doing mm. innovation with another collaborating partner organization. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun to work with other organizations and to kind of bring two worlds together, really. Um, so with the escape room and working with IJM, they were great in providing us with like a solid theme um, and motivation for why we were doing this escape room. Um, it's easy enough to come up with puzzles and to string them together to make, you know, an activity. Uh, but actually having a purpose for them moving through the room um, and a, a desire to finish the room and find out what's going to happen in this survivor story um, was a way of really bringing that escape room to life. So um, yeah, I think it's really good fun uh, working with these other organizations and also just really great to kind of work, particularly with IGM on this resources, they're, they've not necessarily broken into the world of youth work just yet. Um, and so this resource is an exciting step into that and kind of help facilitate that. And just, we, we won't go step by step through that process, but mm. you did a lot of testing and piloting with this, like yes. a lot we did. of testing and piloting. And in fact, uh, it's worth saying that um, you were blessed by mm. having the chief executive himself of Youthscape working on the project with you. Yeah, uh, indeed. Chris, and uh, he's, I would say, and I'm putting it lightly, a massive perfectionist. So, uh, so what impact did it have? You know, you're not. It's all right. He's not here. You can, he, he doesn't listen. To the, he doesn't listen to the podcast. You can say what really happened. Oh, good. But what was that process of uh, of testing and piloting mm. like? So, actually, I think the fact that Chris 
is aware of the smaller details and was an excellent uh, factor in writing this escape room because there's so much room for it to go wrong Um, and there's so many room so much room for us to like miss little things about how kids might navigate the room what what clues they might skip um, and then you know they've not done half the puzzles in the room Um, and so uh, yeah Chris uh, loved this resource he poured a lot of blood sweat and tears into it Um, but I think the result is something that we are we're both really proud of and and something that is so easy to use for for youth youth workers on kind of any budget that was our our aim when we were creating it was we want them to be able to use it if they, you know, are just borrowing stuff from church members or whatever. Um, to if you had like a massive budget and could buy all the locks and stuff you wanted, um, and that I think we achieved that. So that's great. Mm. There's two approaches to testing. You can you can either say we're going to make the perfect product mm. or the perfect initiative, mm-hmm. and then we're going to launch it on the world and kind of test it and see whether it works. Mm-hmm. Or you kind of get the base, the very basic version of it mm. up and running. And then find and just release it and find all the flaws, find a hundred flaws, mm. um, but find them all together. And it felt like this was a bit more the latter, like you've got a working version of it working quite quickly. And then there was lots of rewrites. Yeah, I think um, a little bit of both, because in order for it to actually run successfully, it had to be pretty in depth and pretty written out. And so we had it. Uh, sorted but then we ran it with a whole load of young people who came and tested it um, and did an amazing job um, but yeah we had a massive rewrite we probably had a good 50-60% rewrite on it um, and added in a load of content changed a load of content um, and so yeah it, it definitely highlights how important piloting is and how important testing our resources is because without that it just wouldn't wouldn't have been the same experience. So you've been here two years. You mm-hmm. joined Youthscape because you were a marine biologist about <laughs> the call to youth ministry in central Scotland, yep. then joined the Princeton sort of course here, got mm. the bug for innovation, mm. started and then lockdown and COVID happened. Yes. A lot has happened. Yeah. And you've just got engaged. I have just got exactly. engaged. I just <laughs> to bring that in because I'm just so excited about that. Um, how has innovation changed in the last two years? Mm. What, what impact has everything, what we've all been through? Yeah had on our appetite for innovation yeah i think it very much changed what the needs were amongst youth workers and young people so we had a load of stuff on the board pre-pandemic that uh have actually has actually moved below the line now because it's not what youth workers need not what they want right now and so i guess it's a case of us just being really um open and listening to what they are wanting are needing and kind of making sure we're adapting what we're doing as a result of that so it is much more uh, factoring well can we translate this to work online and Mm. actually um youth workers are running at max capacity like how can we make this as easy for them to use as possible like can we write more curriculum can we do this so um so yeah i guess just being more sensitive to what the needs are hannah uh, and Rachel, oh, yes. <laughs> we, we, we said that we talk a bit about failure yes. in this uh, in this season and, and we've only got one episode left. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have to talk about uh, failure today, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, here's a question for both of you, really. Hannah, this might be something you've experienced whilst working for Youthscape. I certainly mm. hope not. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, I imagine <laughs> there's, there'll be a long list of stories oh, here to yeah. choose from. Yeah, uh, but what, you know, what, is, what does it look like to fail and learn you guys in 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 youth ministry and particularly in trying new stuff because it's not 
It's not fun, is it? It's not something we, as much as kind of it's it's trendy to say, you know, embrace failure, mm-hmm. you know, it's not fun to go through. So, no. you know, where have you kind of had to experience things not working and, mm. and what have maybe you learned from, from that? So I think I love the, the idea of below the line because I think probably failure for me does feel like when I'm operating below the line mm-hmm. and oh, I can't quite see my way through this and it's not quite working and the team's not quite gelling and it doesn't feel like this glorious moment of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I have got huge loads of stories of stuff failing, but I think in the last few months it's trying to get the discipline mm. of whatever you've just done whether it's a session with young people or it's a series of assemblies or anything the culture of feedback and the mm. culture of reflecting what you were just talking about what's under the line is so important because it just means that you've got a framework that if that event went belly up you've got the same framework let's just talk about it if it went really well you've got the same framework because I think mm. the barrier for me has often been I don't know how to talk about what just happened yeah. mm. and I don't know how to raise it with my team without any of them feeling like I'm about to hang them out to dry mm. yeah um, so one of the phrases that i've been trying to use for myself and for the rest of the team is we, we do this together our successes are together and mm. our, our wins and our failures are together mm. and it might be that some of us take more responsibility or ownership for aspects of that mm. but nobody is sent off on their own and no one is hung out to dry mm. and i think realizing whether your team is you and a friend who you talk things through or with a church leader or actually volunteers or paid workers get people around you that can create that framework of feedback mm. and because that will prevent you from keep repeating the same mistakes and that's yeah. the most challenging thing mm. about is when you think like oh gosh I, rem- I knew that why did I do that again I mm. knew that it wouldn't work with this group of young people but I just planned on regardless because I just felt I had to show up and do something so that's mm. I think for me quite key mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, failure is a really humbling thing. Um, I think, you know, we obviously we strive for success, but actually, you know, failure is a part of life and it is Mm. from our failures. I feel like we grow and we learn the most, Mm. you know, and actually, um, particularly when working as part of a team, it's kind of like being able to show grace to one another Mm. when we fail, you know, and actually what you were saying, Rachel, it's like you do it as a team. It's not it's not you you solely bearing the responsibility for something failing, but actually, you know, having the grace to be like, okay, it's that that didn't go well, but it's all right. We'll mm. change it. We've mm. learned from this. We're not going to do that. It's the same next time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's different things that I would say that I would class as failures that I've experienced as a youth worker. But um, yeah, I think that they are also the moments that I've grown the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting what language you put around stuff as well, isn't it? Because I I can think of an incident before Christmas, so I'm not going to mention my team names, but there was an incident where we were doing a joint, we were all together, we're all youth workers, but we said, let's do some stuff in the primary schools. Let's do a big mm. like live nativity mm. because these year sixes are going to be in our youth group scene. And there was a few moments about that day that I said to myself and to one of my team, oh man, that was a disaster. Mm. And it actually wasn't a disaster. It was I wish we'd thought about that. I wish we'd done that differently. But take a step back. The school were just so grateful that people mm. were coming in with, with, you know, with some real donkeys, doing a bit of fun. They, <laughs> they, they, the overall feeling was this was great. But I think because I'm a little bit like our CEO, I, I, you know, a little bit of perfectionist streak. Mm. I wanted our communication to be better. I wanted us to have actually vaguely learn our lines. I wanted the donkeys not to poo all in the hall. And I was a bit <laughs> like, oh, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. And I, and I think sometimes just checking the language that we put over stuff because failure is a positive part of life. Mm. But disaster language is really unhelpful yeah. because it kind of says 
Not only did that not go well, but I'm now going to say that's damaged something. Yes. Mm. Yes. And that very rarely is the case, actually. Yes. And even if we have damaged relationship or it's been difficult, we believe that that can be redeemed. Mm. So I think it's really important how we talk about what we've just been through. Mm. I think mm. it's quite helpful. Yeah, and we can catastrophize. That's, that's, that's it. it, isn't that's it? We it. Catastrophize, we catastrophize failure rather than seeing failure as being part of the process. And expecting mm. it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I expect yeah. it's yeah. not all going to go well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you're an athlete, as you know I, I am, uh, and you're attempting to break a, you know, break a yeah. barrier, yeah. it is inevitable that all your attempts up until the successful one will be failure. Now, how mm. do you talk about that? I mm-hmm. failed again, I failed again, or I haven't made it yet, I've learned something, yeah. you know, I'm going to, this is motivating me to, I know what to do. And then I can stay in the country and do these things. Oh, I mean, Rachel. That's really important. Oh, Rachel. I, uh, you know, I'm going to do things differently. And I think, you know, I'm reading a great book at the moment, actually, uh, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed, which is all about failure. And so he looks at two different what you might call industries, I guess. One is the the airline industry and the other one is, uh, it's probably the wrong phrase, but the the sort of medical industry, particularly in in the States. And they have these radically different approaches to failure. So in the medical industry, in that example, um, because particularly because of the very litigious culture in the United States around medicine, um, there is a real um, denial of failure. There's a real culture of not wanting to admit mistakes, uh, of wanting to uh, maybe, you know, I guess this is allegedly, let's say. Hmm. Um, now I'm worried about litigious culture. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, not wanting to say why something happened, not wanting mm. to actually pour over um, you know, when things have gone catastrophically wrong, what the cause was, because they, they're terrified of lawsuits mm. and particularly of doctors, surgeons being found culpable that they made a mistake themselves, which led to something catastrophic. Mm. So in that world, failure is, there's a fear of failure. Like we deny failure, we don't want to. And so things, mistakes get perpetrated again and again and again. There's mm. a there's a sort of cycle of failure that happens because no one ever stopped to look at it. And the absolute opposite of that is the airline industry where the whole the whole idea of safety is built around uh, learning from failure. Now, safety is the most important thing mm. for, for airlines. Of course it is. And for anybody buying a ticket want to go on an airplane, if you remember what they are, um, you know, that that that's the most important concern on your mind, isn't it? Safety. So um, they've managed to, through the use of the black box, to learn so much uh, from every, obviously catastrophe, but also from every near miss. They've learned so much. They've had so much data that they've been able to reduce accidents to a like an absolutely tiny fraction now. Mm-hmm. That's where you get to this stat of like, it's you're more likely wow, to have an accident yes. driving to the airport than you are on a plane. Yeah. On a yeah. plane. And it's because the airline industry has completely embraced this idea of failure. It's always, it's good to learn from our mistakes day after day after day. Like mm. it's ritual. Pilots, staff, they are constantly filling in forms and 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 stuff that that it, they detail exactly what went wrong, even mm. if something only went slightly wrong. Mm. Um, and my question is, who are we? Mm. Who are we <laughs> in the church? Medics or pilots. Yeah, yeah. I I think the divine, to chuck the divine thing into the uh, the midst of this, I think one of the reasons we struggle with failure is because we're not sure what that means about where God was and what God was doing. So if 
we felt, oh, we should do some work with young people. We should do it on a Wednesday night. We should do it with this group that hang around at the back of the building. And, and we should do this. And then we do it and we pour all our energy and we try really hard and we, we, we try our best and it's not perfect, but it just doesn't work. Yeah. What, what do we say? Is that like God? Did we hear God wrong? Was God not there? Is it God's failure? So I think we... It's a really interesting question. What's our theology of failure and where mm. is God in that? And is it okay to say, of course God wants us to work with young people. Why wouldn't he not? Yep. So the issue is not that God didn't ask us to do this, but that we there's something here that we're going to grow and develop through and it's okay. Mm. But we don't bring that to this because we want quick and easy solutions. God mm. said it, so it's going to be fine. Yeah. Oh, I misheard God. That's why I didn't work. Yeah, That's too exactly. binary, isn't it? It is too binary and there's a risk that we deny like failure like mm-hmm. we we find a new narrative don't we mm. we're like oh but what was really going yeah. on what's that lovely phrase you use a fallacy oh narrative the narrative fallacy. fallacy yeah yeah but so this is go. this is the same thing really yeah. so yeah gosh there's a challenge there which a am challenge. i great yes right <laughs> let's hannah, get back into it hannah martin it's been wonderful to have you with us yeah, thanks what's yeah, it's the really experience fun. been like of flying air rachel and martin <laughs> Uh, it's been wonderful. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Great. Great. <laughs> you know, the black box fittingly is actually mm. orange. Oh. And you're wearing orange. Yeah. It's like I knew. You did. <laughs> there was no snacks on this flight, but you checked the air hostess, A-E, I-E, Amy, who looked comfortable throughout. Did she know? <laughs> so did, did she? Does she ever look truly comfortable? I think Amy looks like we're always on the verge of a plane yes. crash, actually. <laughs> She's like the opposite of a hair hostess. Oh. She's like, oh no, she's where's this going? Her. She's managing decline, isn't she, really, when it comes to us? When it comes to us, yeah. So, uh, but I hear something quite exciting is on the, as, uh, is very soon upon us because obviously we get to sit here and chat with you, Hannah, and mm. hear all your wonderful wisdom. But other people can now as well. So tell us a little bit about how people can get involved with maybe some training and resourcing around innovation. Yeah. Uh, so later in the year, we uh, are launching an introduction to innovation training course. Um, and that is just going to be uh, kind of taking you through the first couple of steps of our innovation process and what that might look like for you to do that in your ministry context. Um, and so we are piloting that uh, very soon. Um check out our social media for more information on that um but yeah it'll be really good just to kind of i know that i really benefited from learning about innovation through the princeton course that that used to take place and so um excited to kind of get that back out there and available to youth workers so and uh so we're we're, as you say check socials for that Mm. we're also about to release a new innovative project Mm -hmm. which has been uh developed through the very process you discuss, in response to uh, what particular opportunity? Like encouraging youth workers to do uh, theological reflection. Um, So for anyone who was at the National Youth Ministry Weekend, uh, one of the giveaway resources there was the Listen In Journal, which is a um, a journal full of exercises and activity to help youth workers think, uh, reflect theologically on their practice, on their lives. Um, And it's a great journal. It's it's really cool. We're um, super excited about it. However, we wanted something that was maybe a little bit more uh, physical, a little bit more something that youth workers would have in their lives day to day right in front of them um, and you don't want to say what it is oh i'm trying not to we can't say what it is but we can say oh. that it, it's probably not going to be everybody's cup of tea oh i think i know what it is now <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant
so will it will it be lots of noise? Ollie will be making a big splash. Oh my goodness! There'll be sp- the splashdown will take place. Splash courtesy of. of Social media Ollie, who's in the background today he taking is. photos. Thank goodness <laughs> in the background today. We've had lots of tech issues today, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And Ollie's presence has just resolved it all. So Thank it's you, beautiful. assistant producer Ollie. Thank you, Ollie. It's like a proper much. podcast. We've got a guest, oh, we've got, we've got a producer, we've got a techie. Oh, wonderful. We've not had to move. They even go and wee for us, so it's great. So, Hannah, <laughs> thank you for joining us. We love having you join us. And uh, thank we'd you. like you, as one of the only in-person guests we've mm. had in a very, very long time, mm. do you want to send these wonderful people on their way? Just tell them they're amazing and just close the podcast however you oh, want yeah, to. You How would a marine it. biologist close a podcast? Oh, goodness. I feel, no. <laughs> feel very under pressure now. No, this is fine. You, we'll give you a just, moment to yeah, think. You, you, you could have, so whatever you want to say. You don't have to kind of, you don't need any no, fish you puns. You just say bye, we're done. It's whatever, whatever you want to say. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs> no, um, it's been great to have you join us. Uh, we hope that it's been helpful and useful, uh, and we hope that it's sparked conversations about innovation and failure and what that looks like in your context. And yeah, peace out. Bye.